welcome to the ACOP Student Podcast, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the ACOFP podcast, DO.FM Student Edition. This podcast will be focused on telemedicine, how it is changing the field of family medicine, and how it will affect both us as students and our patients in the future. My name is Kevin Wolf, and I am an OMS2 at Rocky Vista University in Colorado. Today, I'm joined by Aaron Herbstova, Rocky Vista's ACOFP student chapter president. Hi everyone, I'm Erin and I have the great pleasure to introduce Dr. Donna Baldwin. Dr. Baldwin is a board certified osteopathic family medicine physician and she serves as the chief quality officer and medical director for the nationwide telemedicine group Cirrus MD. She is renowned in the field of telehealth and we are so happy to have her here today to share some of her expertise with us. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Baldwin. Our first question for you is, what exactly is telehealth and what services are we able to provide with it? Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation and the very um, warm welcome. Renowned sounds pretty uh, hard to live up to, so I'll do my best today. So telehealth is, is a relatively new, or some say not so new, practice of medicine. As a family medicine physician, personally, I've been practicing some form of telemedicine my entire career. So when I left residency back in 2003, my practice was one in which I was a salaried employee. And so I could take care of patients however I wanted to. That meant, you know, it made sense to do phone visits with people and follow up. We also started doing email back then. And so I feel like it's been a part of my practice specifically um, for the last two decades or more. So telehealth itself is is a practice of medicine that patients can receive care through video, through phone visits, or even through chat or text visits. Um, Email is a part of that as well. So there's a synchronous and asynchronous modality that, that patients can receive care. And telehealth is something that to be successful needs to be a part of the existing healthcare ecosystem. It shouldn't be something that stands alone. We all have patients that go to urgent care or the ER. And as a family medicine physician, you want to know what happens to your patients. And so telehealth should be a part of that existing healthcare ecosystem too. Additionally, physicians are held to the exact same standards as physicians in brick and mortar or face-to-face visits. And so telehealth has to provide the same high quality evidence-based medicine that we practice in our brick and mortar settings. So the types of services you can provide can be just that you just the same as what you do in a primary care setting or in a family medicine clinic. Um, obviously, you can't put your hands on patients, and so it takes um, a different skill set to be able to um, assess a patient's shortness of breath, for example, or what they mean by abdominal pain. Sometimes that isn't through a video. Sometimes that is through an email or a, or a text. And so you're held to the same standards, and so you have to be creative sometimes at trying to assess patients and their concerns and complaints. What it does is it really allows patients to not have to take time off work, not have to drive to an office, but it really does allow for patients to receive healthcare differently than than just scheduling an appointment. And I think that's what patients want. Um, What other part of of our consumer industry that we don't use 
our phones. We don't use videos. We don't text. You can buy an airline ticket. Nobody goes to the airport to buy an airline ticket. So why shouldn't healthcare be the same? Could you talk a little bit about your platform, Cirrus MD, and what services it provides and what you do there? Sure. So CirrusMD is a nationwide telehealth company. We contract with health plans and employer groups to provide uh, chat-based care. It is multimodal, um, but we do about 90% of our visits through a text or through a chat with a physician. Um, it's an on-demand service, meaning you don't have to schedule appointments. Um, you can log in and um, chat, be connected with the doctor in under a minute, oftentimes in under 30 seconds. And so what we believe is that um, it's the relationship with the, with the doctor that's most important. So there's no upfront bought, there's no upfront um, intake form. You really get connected with a physician, a human being in under a minute, um, which is you know, pretty amazing um, in, in our healthcare system. Um, our service is a, a, a virtual primary care service um, where you can come on and talk about anything you go to see your primary care doctor or go to the urgent care for. Um, so it spans acute things like um, upper respiratory concerns to gastroenteritis, um, rashes, to things like asthma, women's health issues, behavioral health. And you don't have to figure out who you need to see for any of these conditions. You come on the platform and you meet a doctor and we'll get you connected to, if it's if you're needing to a behavioral health specialist, if you're needing um, a diabetes specialist. And a lot of our physicians are family medicine, internal medicine physicians, as well as uh, behavioral health specialists. So we have lots of um, expertise in these areas and um, we're happy to, to chat with a patient uh, for as long or for as short as they have questions about. Um, and they're able to return as well. Do you have actually a virtual primary care clinic where we um, actively follow up patients? So for example, I have a, a panel of patients that I'm gonna be outreaching tomorrow during my clinic to see how they're doing on their start of their sertraline or start of their medications for quitting smoking. Um, we're also actively following asthma patients. As we know, it's really important to, for people this time of year to make sure that their asthma is under good control and make sure they're on a prevention medicine so they're not overusing their albuterol to help avoid ER visits, urgent care visits, um, and, and days out of work. So it's a pretty cool platform. I've been working here for about three years. Um, I'm the chief quality officer, so I'm responsible for um, developing and maintaining our quality program, which means um, making sure that our physicians are providing the absolute best care that's evidence-based. Um, we have best practices that we use um, that our doctors follow so that our patients get a, a high quality experience. Um, I'm also one of the medical directors, so I work with our sales and accounts team to um, ensure that we are defining and explaining our clinical experience, um, because that's really what it is. Um, our product is really about taking care of patients um, and doing so in a, in a primary care vision state. What is telehealth's current role in our health system and how has that changed during COVID-19? So I certainly think COVID-19 has raised the level of awareness with patients and how they can receive care, whether it's because they don't want to schedule an appointment or whether it was their doctor wasn't available to see patients in person due to the pandemic. And so I think it's existed before, but I think it's um, really kind of blown up. Patients are now asking, why can't I get my behavioral health care via telehealth? Or why can't I 
talk to somebody about what are my wellness and prevention needs, or why can't I get my hypertension medication refilled uh, via telehealth visit? And so it's important that as we do telehealth, that again, as I mentioned earlier, that it really connects with the existing healthcare ecosystem and not stands alone, meaning our are we getting connected to people with a PCP when that's clinically and medically indicated? Are we able to order labs and diagnostic studies? Because just writing a refill prescription for a blood pressure medicine when they might need labs to monitor that drug um, is really important as well. And so I think it's changed in the sense where people are a lot more aware that it's available and patients really want to know why they have to go in and be touched by a doctor. Um, I remember, you know, so many times seeing patients in brick and mortar where I didn't need to listen to their heart or lungs. I didn't need to examine them and I, I could have done things on telehealth. So I think physicians are starting to think more about what could they do to deliver healthcare more easily to patients and do so in a way where patients don't have access. Um, we all know that having a primary care physician can be really difficult and challenging to find one we're becoming more of a rare breed. And so, you know, how can you expand access to patients in rural areas, in other areas? And so I think telehealth has a very strong role in, um, in, in improving healthcare. But I think you have to do it in a way that is outcomes-based, that is evidence-based, so that you're, that you're demonstrating that it is making a difference. Um, I, can't, I can't do worse medicine with telehealth. It has to be better or equal to that of um, an in-person visit. On that note, what would you say is the outlook for the use of telehealth appointments in a post-pandemic world? And then what will that look like for our current generation of medical students? I think telehealth is going to be a part of how family medicine physicians practice medicine. And so embracing that and understanding specifically what the regulations are, the reimbursement rates are. And, and I think those are evolving as we speak. Um, there are certain Medicaid laws that have changed, um, you know, where you, they used to say a video visit is all that would you, be, you could be reimbursed for. Now they're saying chat visits and phone visits you can be reimbursed for. So the market and the, the, the atmosphere is changing. And so really being aware of what those regulations are. Um, and unfortunately, they're state to state regulations. And so those are, those are definitely going to be challenging. And I, I think it, hopefully it's going to be um, it's going to be improved and it's going to be easier for patients and easier for, for physicians to get reimbursed for those services and therefore more encouraged to do those types of visits um, versus the, the brick and mortar one-on-one um, -on -one in-person visits. How is telehealth changing how we provide primary care specifically? So I think, as I mentioned before, I think primary care is an excellent place uh, for, for, for patients to receive primary care services. For example, you know, I had a 40 year old lady who came on the platform yesterday asking whether she needed a mammogram. Um, as we know, there's right, you know, certain recommendations for when women should get mammograms. And we were able to go over her risk, what the recommendations were from the USPSTF um, and, and, and guide her on what she needed. Additionally, we talked about when her last pap smear was, you know, sometimes women think they have to get a pap smear every year, and that's certainly not the case. And so I think you can do a lot of wellness and prevention 
a lot of behavioral health. I see a lot of behavioral health patients. There's obviously very much still a stigma on receiving behavioral health care. And people don't want to necessarily take a half day off work, schedule an appointment with a doctor, only to be told that they probably need to see another doctor. And so being able to um, talk to patients in a way that is not discriminatory in a modality that they're comfortable with. Um, and so I think that um, I think there's a lot of things that that primary care physicians can do via telehealth to, again, really make sure that all patients have access um, to primary care. We could schedule a colonoscopy if you're in need of that or make recommendations to get a mammogram. And so, so I think it's going to be a modality that is going to be more and more used in primary care. What benefits to our patients does telehealth provide and does it help with access to primary care providers? Great question, Erin. Um, I think that patients are busy and certainly the pandemic taught us that. We had you know, moms and dads that um, had to figure out how to work from home. Oh, and additionally be a teacher. Their kids were at school at home now. And how do you balance all of that? And I think that telehealth enabled those patients to get the care they needed when they needed it and not have to um, figure out childcare, figure out time off work. And so I think the benefits from the patients is that they can get on-demand care when they need it and when they have questions. And so really flipping the healthcare system on its head, providing, being able to provide telehealth on the patient's time and not necessarily on the scheduled doctor's time, I think is, is, is a definite added benefit for patients. Obviously, we see a lot of patients that are in rural areas who don't have access to primary care physicians. And everyone in the United States, I feel, is underinsured, meaning everything costs something. And so our ability to do that in a more cost-effective manner, whether it's saving them an ER visit in the middle of the night because their baby's crying and they don't know what to do and if they should take them in, um, to have access to a telehealth physician to be able to make those decisions can really help reduce costs in healthcare, but also really um, make sure that patients have a doctor when they need it and, and not delay care. What are potential challenges that need to be <laughs> overcome with telehealth and does it make building rapport and correct diagnosis more difficult? So there's definitely potential challenges um, with telemedicine. First of all, from a physician's perspective, really need to be savvy with the medical rules and regulations by state. For example, the, the medical board that has jurisdiction over the physician is the one in which the patient is located. So for example, if Erin's in Colorado, I have to have a Colorado license to be able to treat her. Therefore, I'm 50 state licensed. So that's challenging to maintain and quite expensive if you can imagine. And so that the challenges are going to be with right round regulations and licensing, which I think is, is definitely being talked about at a state and a national level. I think the reimbursement process to make sure that that physicians are being reimbursed for their time. I think sometimes in general, a phone visit doesn't seem as technical or as important or different than, and, and is very different than an in-person visit, but really and truly could be extremely challenging. Um, and so I think that it does take a different skill set, which is why I'm really glad Rocky Vista actually has a dedicated program to teaching medical students about digital health and about telehealth, because it is going to be the new world, so to speak, and being able to be educated and prepared for it, I think is going to be extremely important um, to be successful with it because it's not going away. 
So it takes a special skill set, for example, to evaluate abdominal pain through, let's say, a text or a chat. How do you do that? What questions do you ask? You know, generally patients come on, they're really worried and they're like, I'm in this severe abdominal pain. Well, if they had walked into my office, I can get that initial gestalt about them and see, okay, it's not 10 out of 10 because they're sitting there, they look okay. Um, and on a telehealth visit, it's a little more challenging. And so you really do have to ask questions differently. Building rapport with a patient via text. We've all texted family and friends and sometimes misinterpreted a text um, or didn't feel the empathy. And so it is really important to make sure that you're demonstrating empathy and building rapport so that you can develop that type of relationship, which is actually not as hard as you think. Um, I have a lot of patients that I chat with on a daily basis who I've created great rapport with them. Um, if I need to do a video to see them and to see what they're, what they look like or listen to them breathing, absolutely. I can do that. Um, they can send me a picture of their rash. And so that's, it's, it's, it's not, it's not a difficult thing to do, but it definitely takes a different hat than what I was trained to do. So telehealth visits are something that current students can find challenging. And at RVU, all of the students there, we've had the opportunity to do standardized patient visits via telehealth. What advice do you have for students as far as making those visits more personable? And like you said, building that rapport. Sure. And, and that's great that you guys have been able to do that. Um, awesome. Because if you don't practice it, how, how are you to learn and, and to be able to improve on what you're doing? I mean, I think looking at the same tenets of communication, you know, really making sure that you're building that rapport early in the visit, asking questions, not overlooking times to demonstrate empathy and really listening to the patient's perspective. I think, you know, my classic example is a patient that comes on with diarrhea. Well, diarrhea, it's not that big of a deal. You're not going to probably die from it. And, you know, I can rec make some recommendations on taking Imodium. However, it's really important to that person and understanding that um, that pet patient is potentially a school teacher and can't leave the classroom every 10 minutes to go to the bathroom or, uh, you know, an Uber driver, right? Um, that, that could be pretty impactful. So I think making sure that you're using those same tenants, um, making sure that you are creating that initial rapport, eliciting that patient's perspective, demonstrating empathy in every chance you get, and then making sure that you've answered all their questions. What else can I help with? Um, so I think really approaching it in very similarly to what you would in a face-to-face a -face visit. And I think being, being yourself and taking opportunities to, you know, I've told a patient she's at home with her four kids and I'm like, oh my gosh, what are your kids ages? You know, and just taking that moment to invest in that patient um, makes a really big difference um, in creating rapport, just like if you were having coffee with someone. Based on the current direction telehealth is headed, do you think it should be incorporated more into the medical school curriculum? Absolutely. I can't think of a specialty that isn't going to have to do some form of telemedicine in order to be successful. And so I think having it more as a core in a medical school curriculum, I think is in incredibly valuable and important to prepare the medical students for practice. Because again, it's not going away. It's something we're going to have to figure out how to incorporate um, because the industry and the con consumers are going to demand it. What advice do you have for students who are interested in careers in telehealth, such as yours, or careers in digital health in general? I mean, I think experience it yourself. I think it's always great if you can do a telehealth visit yourself, uh, do practice ones on each other, 
with certain complaints. And then I think taking advantage of any type of shadowing you can do or any type of rotations. Um, I'd love to see your third and fourth year incorporate rotations in telehealth to actually see patients work alongside somebody like me to really see and feel and, and practice it. And so hopefully medical schools are, are looking at rotations um, as well as the um, first and second year education uh, around telehealth um, and digital health. So Dr. Baldwin, I'm a student in the rural track at RVU. Can you talk about the advantages and disadvantages of telehealth specifically for rural communities? Sure. And, you know, I applaud you, Erin. It's definitely a field in which not a lot of primary care physicians are going into, and there's definitely a need. Um, there's a lack of access to primary care physicians specifically in the rural environment. And I think telemedicine could be extremely helpful as long as it doesn't put barriers up against uh, patients to require them to do a video, perhaps if they don't have broadband or require them to do a phone visit. And so the telehealth service should really be multimodal, meaning that the patient should be able to come on and chat with the doctor, do a phone visit or do a video and, and not be restricted because that in, in itself places barriers to the patient being able to access care if they don't have um, the comfort or the, or the resources for that and really then would, would, would contribute to disparities in healthcare um, and how it's delivered. So telemedicine should help make sure that we aren't putting up those barriers. We aren't creating those inequities for patients. And, and I think rural healthcare is that in that specific setting, we have to be extremely mindful of that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Baldwin, for joining us today and for sharing your expertise and your advice with us. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again next time. The ACOFP Student Podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org. Looking for more resources on OMT? Visit ACOFP's OM Teaching at www.acofpomteaching.com and ask your institution if they subscribe so you can have access to over 150 OMT videos and support materials.